You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Today, we're going to talk about restaurant technology. And we all know how important technology has been in 2020 and going into 2021 to help restaurants survive. So today, my guest is Chris Adams, who's the VP of Strategy for Oracle Food and Beverage. Uh, Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me, Barbara. Thank you. Thanks for getting up early in Australia to speak to us. No problem. Can you explain a little bit about what Oracle's position is in the restaurant space and maybe talk a little bit about who some of your clients and partners are? Yeah, sure. So um, so, so we've operated in the restaurant space now for, for over 40 years, um, starting with Micros, which uh, was acquired by Oracle a couple of years ago. Um, and, and really, we plan all levels of the industry, ranging from single unit independent restaurants through to global chains, airports, stadiums, and, and everything in between. So, so with that comes a um, you know a, a lot of breadth of experience dealing with different countries, different service styles, um, and also as you, as you mentioned, you know technology and, and the you know, sheer advancements that it's going through as we speak. And who are some of your clients, partners that you work with? Yeah, so I mean, some such as here in Australia with uh, with, with Outback, um, you know, we work with with um, a lot of our European customers, such as Fafis, uh, Panini, Internazi and in uh, uh Panino Gusto, um, as well as you know some uh, some of our partners in food service, such as SSP, uh, Compass, and the like. So, what is your role? You know what? Do, what do you do on a daily basis to connect all of this? So I, I get to play with the exciting stuff, Barbara. So, um, so, so my my key role is making sure that we're listening to the industry, looking at where the technology is taking it, um, help help define where we can solve problems for the industry. Um, and so I'm lucky enough to be able to take the technology investment across Oracle and see how we can use that to solve some of those problems. Um, I also get to um, spend a lot of my time with our customers, listening to them, seeing what their pain points are, um, and also um, helping helping put together an ecosystem of, of partners where we can take our technology, we can take you know, some of the, the innovation we see from partners and bring that together to be able to um, you know, create a great experience for our customers. Pandemic. How did Oracle do the pivot and um, how did you work with your clients? I must say uh, March 2020 feels like a very long time ago. Um, and, and so we kind of, if, if, I, if I track our trajectory over the last almost 12 months, certainly where we began was in stock and, and um, helping our customers with the pivot. And that ranged from just providing consulting services for free, just to be able to to bring some of our experience as you know restaurants that had never done takeout or curbside before. You know how can we help them reconfigure their systems and get that set up very quickly? Um, and so that's really, frankly, where we spent the first couple of the weeks of the pandemic, um, whilst also trying to read the crystal ball. Um, and 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 really back then, you know, none of us knew was this a, a short term. Uh, was this a, a medium or a long term? And so we were trying to work out 
was our roadmap the right one? Was it going to you know deliver what our customers needed? Um, and frankly, you know, we we pivoted our investment in some areas. We stopped um, investing in in what we saw as potential um, um, technology that would disappear, um, and and really, you know, started to pivot to to focus more on mobile ordering, online payments. And, and and what we've now seen be the the bread and butter of the technology in a restaurant as we uh, kind of fast forward ten months. Yeah, it's got it's been quite a quite a, a ride for the past year. So let's talk specifically about some of your clients and what how you worked with them to you know help them. So with Outback in Australia, how did you help them problem solve? Yeah, so it, 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 you know Outback traditionally uh, very much a, an experiential restaurant. You know, people would come in, they would they they, they would um, uh, be served, be greeted in the in the traditional kind of table table service fashion. Um, a, again, they looked to delivery to curbside as a way to be able to trade through the pandemic. Um, and so we were lucky enough that they had already shifted to um, uh, the cloud version of our point of sale with Symphony. And so, um, you know, the first step was just introducing some of our partners that could help in that space. Um, and then very quickly, you know, they're, they're, they're a great partner and we were able to you know, get a, a curbside ordering solution, a um, uh pay at curbside solution, um, get them connected up to, to delivery aggregators in a matter of weeks. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that, that certainly helped them trade through what is a, a, a very difficult um, trading period. The other thing we also helped them with is just looking at their menu and, and you know, a steak-based um, offering sometimes wasn't translating to those new delivery channels. And so just making sure that their menu was streamlined that it could also then operationally work into their kitchen on the tablets, um, and, and so certainly you know it, it it was kind of digital transformation at pace, and uh, you know we we're lucky enough that you know to have such an innovative customer, and I think you know as as they've gone through the different iterations of the pandemic, you know I, I think they're going to come out of it stronger, frankly, than they they went into it, and. What was the process? Are you talking, you know, you were able to ramp things up in a matter of days um, or or was the process that you just kept working on new things and, and you know, a new problem would come up and, and you would solve it for them? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a very collaborative effort. Um, and so we, we kind of had our resources get into the business, um, albeit virtually in some in, in some cases. We also used um, and, and so we have teams on the ground in Australia, but um, we actually took some of our resources from across the globe who had experience in this space, um, you know, from other customers. And so we kind of used the benefit of everyone now living on, on Zoom to be able to bring them in. And, and it just started with sharing ideas, giving our ideas, suggesting some partners that, that had good solutions with, with Curbside um, and, then, and then helping them, you know, take that and put it into practice. So we started with one store, we tested it out, some things worked, some things needed reconfiguration. And then, uh, you know, we took that and, and you know, in a matter of weeks had that rolled out to, uh, to, to all of their restaurants. Obviously, Italy was one of the hardest hit areas early on, you know, during the pandemic. Um, 
and you worked with one of your clients, uh, Panino Giesto, um, to create a whole new dining experience. Um, so what was that like? It was amazing. I mean, again, uh, back in March, you know, looking at the Italian market, you know, we certainly saw that as a, a market that would be completely decimated and, and almost just shut down for the for the period of the of the pandemic. Um, it was amazing to see. So, so Panini Giusto was already a customer, but as, as you mentioned, that they, they were a very traditional business in terms of how they um, kind of serve their customers, and so they came to us very early on and said, "Look, the the market is what it is. <clears throat> we can no longer rely on our customers coming to us. So we need to to find a way to get to them." Um, and so they took a really data-driven approach where they kind of took all of this information they had about their customers that came from their loyalty um, application and used that to, to look at how could they build their own delivery. Um, and so they worked with, with uh, Oracle. They worked with some other partners like Smart Technologies and, and, and basically used that to build out their own kind of delivery capabilities that range from, you know, the, the mobile ordering experience, the payment experience, um, linking that into their loyalty program. Um, and again, all of this was happening in a time where, you know, government lockdowns and, and, and shutdowns were, were changing every couple of hours. And, and so it was kind of amazing to see them have a, um, um, just a, this kind of, no excuses approach to, to kind of pushing through. And, and I think, you know, the, the amazing thing that they also did was as they were trying to open up those new sales channels, just really keeping honest about, you know, their business. And, and so looking at the kitchen, how they, how they could, you know, optimize to be able to one, get the food out faster, but also really protect their margins. I mean, again, you know, the, the restaurant kind of, pro forma profit and loss statement has has been pretty traditional in terms of food costs, labor costs. And suddenly, you know, you can't get access to particular items, you can't get access to the labor. And so they did a great job of using the data to allow them to kind of, you know, keep pivoting that kitchen operation um, to be able to protect the margins, but also start opening up these new sales channels. So I, again, extremely impressive, um, you know, considering that, as you, as you said, Italy was kind of ground zero in those first couple of months. While everybody was pivoting, um, you still managed to work with some clients to keep them on their very lofty environmental goals. Um, can you discuss working with um, Fafas and Panini International um, and what, how you kind of helped them keep going and, and still you know, on the on the path that they had wanted to uh, had made a priority in their business. It 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 was very early on, and if I think back to, it feels like a long time ago, but you know, if you look at our industry throughout 2019, I think we saw a real wave, um, both from from the restaurants themselves, but also the consumers, of of focusing on on um, the environment, and so you know. Plastic straws, we, we, we saw the groundswell to get rid of those. Um, single use, everything kind of began to be pushed, pu pushed out of the business. Then kind of coming into the in, 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 into pandemic, it all just came back. 
And I think any of us who, you know, we're, we're ordering um, uh, delivery or takeout and suddenly you'd have all of these plastics and, and the things that have been disappearing coming back. And so, you know, if, if we take Fafas, which is a, um, uh, a, a chain in Finland, they stayed really true to it. So as they opened up new channels, as they were kind of delivering, um, uh, you know, working, working with the third-party aggregators, they were really true to it. And so they built in functionality such as, you know, making, making sure that the customer was opting in if they were wanting any single-use items. They, they made sure that they used um, um, packaging that would keep the food for longer, therefore kind of, you know, didn't, didn't need all of these um, uh, plastic wrappings to keep it warm. Um, and we saw the same, you know, another, another of our um, partners out of Sweden with, with Panini Internet's Niamnali, um, they, they did similar in terms of, um, you know, sticking with biodegradable everything. And again, you know, the, the, often, often that environmental focus comes at a cost. And so it's very easy to, to kind of, as your margins are being squeezed, as you're opening up these new channels, to think, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll push that down the priority list. Um, they continue to use more expensive packaging, um, which which was more environmentally friendly. So it was it was it was great to see this balancing act between mental perspective, but also you know pivoting to where their consumers um, again were no longer coming into the stores. Now you got to see the pandemic from a whole more of an international perspective than most of us. Um, so what are some of the trends that you saw that have kind of taken hold? And, you know, what do you expect to continue? Uh, I know particularly here we're seeing a lot with the ghost kitchens and virtual kitchens. But what are some things that, that you're seeing that you think, yeah, we're going to just continue to see this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, and again, I, I just moved back to Australia a week ago from the U.S. And, and certainly the, the dominance of takeout and curbside that we saw already existing in quite a lot of brands in the U.S., um, you know, the one thing that we've seen is that just covering the entire industry um, at an international level. So I, I think the flexibility of ordering, whether it's, you know, ordering directly through an app, ordering through the aggregators, um, but deciding how you want to, to, to pick up that food um, is here to stay. And so we see a lot of our customers saying, okay, well, we introduced takeout, we introduced curbside. Um, we, we're now working with four or five different aggregators. Even though as hopefully, you know, markets open back up and people can go back to restaurants, I, I think that that desire and quest for convenience is is, is going to stay. Um, I do think we'll see it finesse and, we'll, and, and, you know, we'll see it being something that will continue to be optimised. Um, but but certainly you know that 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 flexibility of being able to interact with the brand how you want. Um, you, you you mentioned the ghost kitchens and and I mean this this is the other interesting thing to seeing how many virtual brands opened up. Um, um, you know and and I think chicken wings. I, I feel for the chickens of the world. Um, you know chicken wings have taken off um, as you know the most popular virtual brand we've seen it ranging from. Um, you know, dine brands launching, um, you know, Wingstop, etc. Um, it'll be interesting to see with the virtual brands. I um, mean, again, as people kind of get back out and they're going to restaurants, um, 
the, the, the kind of the jury's still out on whether the virtual brands will, will, will stay. I do think, however, ghost kitchens, um, you know, one of the things we're, we're thinking about is as the typical density of, of central business districts around the world changes, you know, we've seen a lot of, um, you know, people moving out into the suburbs and moving out into rural areas where, where typically brands didn't have a presence. Um, I, I do believe ghost kitchens will be here to stay where, you know, smaller footprint um, stores that can, you know, be much cheaper and go into these areas to serve the consumers in that area. We're going to see that uh, here to stay. Um, I, I do think, Barbara, you know, the the 2021-2022 is going to be, you know, th there's been acceptance of the digital transformation. I do think we're going to see it mature a lot more um, and, and, you know, again, back to that flexibility as being, you know, one of the largest demands of the consumer. Yeah, they, I mean, the industry has definitely fast forwarded through a digital transformation in the past year. Um, do you anticipate that there's going to become an increased reliance on technology and a more, um, you know, a more likelihood that people will turn to technology? I do. I mean, certainly from a consumer's perspective, I think, um, you know, we've all got more comfortable with, with placing online orders. Um, I, I do also believe that, you know, we, we've had this challenge in our industry and, and I do believe a, a combination of government regulation of just consumer comfort levels ha has seen us all get much more comfortable ordering through third party channels. Having said that, you know, I think we've also seen a, a community type approach where people do want to support their local business. They do want to order, but their expectations are the same. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing this reliance on technology where um, consumers would like to order from their local pizza restaurants, um, but they, they really want to make sure that they can do it online, get the same functionality as if they were ordering through one of the large aggregators. Um, I do also think from the, from the operator side, um, as we see um, labor costs continue to be an issue, certainly as the industries open up again and we're having to do a lot of re-employment, it's going to be challenging to go back to this, you know, the old ways that we ran kitchens. So a reliance on things like kitchen, kitchen automation systems, um, you know, data analytics to be able to show where your business is doing well, not doing well, um, you know, that that kind of the, the tide has risen and I certainly think it's going to stay at this, you know, much more sophisticated level than it was twelve months ago. You mentioned restaurant design in relation to ghost kitchens, but how do you see the design of a restaurant kind of evolving? Um, you know, either due to the pandemic or due to other economic uh, forces. But do you see footprint changes, drive throughs? Um, you know, what kind of things do you see in the future that are in related to the actual design of the restaurant? Yeah, it's, it seems everyone's a drive through today, doesn't it? It's uh, and, and seeing brands that really don't lend themselves well to drive through historically. And, you know, I take Chipotle as an example with their Chipotle lanes. Um, and so I, I think the kind of the, the designs that we're seeing coming out of a, a lot of brands is really back to that flexibility. So, you know, your, your typical drive through lanes, 
that may continue. Um, and certainly some of it will scale. I mean, Chick-fil-A kind of looking at three lane, four lane options, but also then being able to link that to the mobile um, experience of having, having, having car spots where you're navigated towards those as you arrive at the actual restaurants. Um, certainly in-store dining, you know, we're seeing much less footprints applied to that. Um, and, and, and so the, the drive-through concepts um, certainly, certainly is something that we're going to see much more on and seeing it in brands that never did it before. Um, I do believe we're, we're also going to see a design um, that will lead to smaller footprints, almost like kiosk-style operations. Um, you know, pop-ups will be interesting as, you know, we, we see a lot of real estate that's going to be available around the world. And so kind of more flexible footprints when it comes to open up, um, you know, new, new pop-up experiences. I do also hope, frankly, government regulations, um, you know, stopping, um, you know, a lot of the challenges when it came to outdoor dining seem to have gone away. Um, you know, not not needing millions of permits just to have an outdoor outdoor area. So I hope with that we're going to see some much more interesting designs when it comes to table service, and and certainly you know people wanting to have a, a different experience. So so you know drive through definitely you know that pop up smaller formats, um, and and then you know making making sure that we, that this real estate that's available around the world can be can be used to create some brand new experiences. One of the things about using so much technology is we collect a lot of data and sometimes that can just get a little bit much you know you don't know what you have is important which which you should focus on so but why is data intelligence a crucial factor in restaurant recovery it is kind of like drinking from a fire hose sometimes isn't it and and certainly um the Traditional way of using data was kind of take take it, summarize it on a weekly basis, and and then take that to make changes to the business, whether that's labor scheduling, whether it's inventory. And um, what we see now is like if you if you're not making a decision right now at uh, on this shift, um, you know you, you're you're losing the advantage. So what we're seeing is kind of a change pivot from passive data, as we would call it, to much more predictive, where really, you know, we, we, we can use um, technology to be able to find the data people aren't looking for, find the intelligence in the data, you know, and whether that's highlighting menu items that are selling really well or those that aren't selling well, um, highlighting where you have a, a lag between the order being ready and being delivered to the consumer. Um, the other thing we're seeing is this data is coming from so many different sources. So how do you bring it all together and intertwine it into a way that makes sense? And so, you know, we're, we're certainly investing a lot more in how can we take the, the compilation of data, have the systems do that, and, and, and really then, you know, feed up the predictive um, insights and, and, and let our restaurant uh, partners focus on that versus compiling spreadsheets. Um, and so, yeah, we're certainly going to see a lot more of that through the next um, you know, 12 months and into the future. I think the other area also is just tapping into um, a lot of the industry data that's now available. I think, you know, there's been some great work done 
focusing on consumer behavior using kind of credit card information. Um, and so we're certainly looking at how can we take some of that more aggregated data um, that, that shows at a, at a kind of macro level what's happening and intertwine that with the transactional data of, of our partners, um, you know, to find again insights and help them navigate what do they do next, what makes sense in terms of sales channels, market mix, um, menu mix, um, you know, and, and, and so I think, you know, we're going we're gonna to see that data being more available than ever before um, and, and certainly using the technology to navigate that. So how have the customer needs and wants changed due to the pandemic and how do you see them evolving more in the future? And by customer, you mean the, uh, the, the end consumer, Barbara? Yeah, the restaurant guest. Yeah, um, it is certainly something um, where as people have got used to life in, in, in lockdown, um, I, I think rightly so. The consumer has become more demanding. You know, in 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 the um, kind of early days, just being able to get uh, um, an order delivered to your house it was almost like a novelty in some areas. Um, it's really gone through now to sophistication of you know wanting to be able to customize their order, but also being able to see you know information around you know allergen information, being able to customize you know remove items, add items. Um, being able to then get transparency about where that order is, you know, is it 10 minutes away? It, you know, when is it going to arrive to me? So I think the level of sophistication and, and, and level of demand has, has increased greatly. Um, I do also see that, you know, the consumers are looking for variety. And so we've seen throughout the, the last 12 months, uh, both from, from kind of global chains, but also from independents, just trying new things, you know, new menu items, whether that was kind of cook at home um, kits, whether it was take take out cocktails, you know, certainly everyone seems to have a, um, you know, a, a, a chicken uh, sandwich offer <laughs> now. And, and so that just that thirst for, for variety. And, and certainly as we see, you know, markets come out of the pandemic, I think that level of demand will remain um, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, people, it, the, the things that we used to be demanding of when we're in a restaurant about good service, you know, being able to, again, customize or know when your order is going to arrive, um, the pivot to kind of, you know, these off-premise channels, you know, we're, we're going to see people wanting the same level of demand across, you know, whether it's in-store, whether it's off-premise, um, you know, pe people will expect exactly the same thing. So last question, um, what, what's the tone that you're hearing from your restaurant clients about the future? Um, and what's your outlook for the restaurant industry in 2021 and beyond? I would call it cautious optimism, Barbara. And, and certainly, you know, we, we talk to a lot of our customers um, who's, who've been through the worst of it. You know, airport operators um, who rely solely on business and, 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 and travel. Um, I think that the optimism comes from as we see, you know, vaccine rollouts across markets in 2021, as we see the pent up demand, um, you know, I, I think the restaurants are optimistic that they'll be able to get through this. They'll be able to come out the other side, but also come out stronger, um, you know, come out with a, a business model that's more efficient, 
come out with more flexibility when it comes to you know real estate requirements um and and so you know certainly as we see vaccine rollouts into the summer kind of early fall um you know i, I think the industry is going to to rebound very quickly and take advantage of that um that, that pent-up demand. I do think also, you know, there's nervousness about, you know, how, how do we get access to talent? How will new government regulations like minimum wage in the U.S. affect those margins? You know, what uh, what, what is the business model with aggregators going to look like in the future so that they can still make a profit? So certainly, you know, the, the optimism in the market recovery, but also caution when it comes to, you know, how do, how do they continue to run a viable business as uh, as as they go into the future, and how do they um, capitalize on on that rebound that you know surely we'll be seeing in the second half of twenty twenty one? Yeah, that's almost like a return to the labor issues and and all the things that were at the forefront, you know, back in twenty nineteen. Exactly, and and now doing it in a way where you know there is going to be you know, upwards of 15 million rehires, reemployments just in the US. And and that is, you know, an, an industry that often has had a lot of regulation. Um, and, and so certainly, you know, a lot of our customers are looking at how can they streamline that process and bring on great, great, great talent to be able to kind of, you know, deliver on their promises to their customers. Great. Thank you so much. 